understand thousands of years hence. And so we ask your Spirit's help this morning as we delve into some of those mysteries. Help us to appreciate and to draw out from those things the lessons, the purposes that you have intended. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Leviticus chapter 11 and following. For those of you who, are, uh, who weren't here in a couple of lessons, we have taken on the book of Leviticus, but I am not, I am... I'm not doing a verse-by-verse verse exposition. That would be really difficult. Not only difficult, it was difficult in seminary. And, so, um, uh, and I think it's, it's that way. It's a very difficult thing. So what we're doing is what you would, if, for those of you who have gone to college or something like that, it would be like a survey look at the book of Leviticus. Although we are delving into certain particular things um, with some depth. But not everything, or else we'd be here forever. And um, uh, Pastor feels the same way. I talk with him about his study in the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters, verse by verse. He'll be there a while. No, but he's hitting the high points and that's what we're trying to do as well in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> Before we begin this study, you know that one, part of this study came out of an interest from the book of Hebrews. And so I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, chapter 8. I do want to avoid controversy. That is to say, I am a proponent of something called New Covenant Theology, NCT. Uh, that is somewhat different from the Reformed view. But my uh, differences are based on Scripture. So I can't really apologize for it. I believe that what I'm doing is um, reading Scripture and following its teaching, chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, which will shed some light on our study of Leviticus and the things that we're going to do this morning, particularly as to the purpose of Leviticus. Chapter 8, I'm going to read it almost in its entirety because it kind of fits together as, a, as one piece. Now, this is the... What? Main point of the things we are saying, the author says. We have such a high priest, that would be Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne uh, of the majesty in the heavens. None other than Jesus Christ. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. And that's the point. The true tabernacle is in heaven. The one in the desert is a symbol, a shadow 
of the real one, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which, is, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest, of the Aaronic line that is, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. One, in my Bible, is capitalized. I, I don't like that playing with letters, but I think it's appropriate here. He's talking about Christ. It is necessary that Christ also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. He was not from the line of Aaron at all. Who is this high priest that's not from the line of Aaron? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. He's Melchizedekian. Who, uh, uh, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, that is, according to the book of Leviticus, which we're studying, who serve as the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. This is very important. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. But now he, Christ that is, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant, that is the law covenant, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. A new covenant. Because finding fault with them, whoa. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the desert, in the day when I took them out of the, uh, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. Israel broke the covenant in every possible way. They could not keep the covenant. And he says, I disregarded them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's you. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Those who have been born again know God. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, catch this, a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Wow. There it is. I argue from a new covenant position. 
using that text and others. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, for instance, on the Apostle Paul. When he talks about the faults of that first covenant. What was the fault of the first covenant? The fault of the first covenant was no one could keep it. Wow. So God was doing something with the first covenant that wasn't exactly redemptive. He was teaching. And by the stuff that we study this morning, Christ, uh, God is teaching us something about his person, his ministry, and ultimate salvation. But I read this for this reason. When we get into the weeds here about clean and unclean, whoo, baby, <laughs> that can drive you a little crazy. Um, uh, but who's the author of that? God is the author of that. It means something. It's not just put in there for the fun. There are instructional parts to that that we can still benefit from as New Covenant believers, as New Testament believers. And so uh, I wanted to share that with you before we turn back to Leviticus chapter 11. Now turn back there. We had just finished in sort of a glancing blow the appointment of Aaron as high priest. Moses was the temporary high priest, the, the person that was from God. That God spoke to him directly. He, uh, he acted as the great high priest. Uh, he ordained, if you will, like we do in the modern time, ordained Aaron, God's choice. And we talked about the redemptive element in that decision alone. Aaron, the guy that had stood around and said nothing when the golden calf was made. And now he is made great high priest of God. Astounding. We're both Christians. Astounding. <laughs> it's probably almost as remarkable as that, isn't it? It is God forgiving. God forgiving. And making clean. By faith. None of us are eligible to be saved. None of us have qualified to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith, period. Ephesians chapter 2. We need to preach that mightily. Now there's another aspect before I get into the details of the text. As you know, I debate uh, on uh, and witness you can call it what you want to, but it is a presentation of the gospel almost daily on a website called Quora. And though, uh, uh, there are religious sites, but people can cross over from one to the another. There's uh, scores of those sites. And a lot of atheists come over to a Christian, uh, a Christian, Christian um, thread as we use the term. And they are happy 
to bring charges against God. And one of their ways of doing that is um, a, a person will ask a question. Uh, what if I do this? Is that sinful? And then the atheist will come on and, and go to the book of Leviticus and say, well, uh, I can almost assure you that it's not. And I can assure you that you're wearing linen and wool. And you get what I'm talking about? They're, they're talking about the arcane rules in the book of Leviticus about clean and unclean and the things that God taught them. And we've already told you those things were symbolic. And the author of Hebrews said they were shadows. They were not the essence of it. They were teaching things. And so I always, I kind of laugh at him and say, well, you have a rather sophomoric understanding of the book of, <laughs> of, the book of Leviticus. And uh, then I go on to explain the gospel to them and what Christ was trying to teach. And God was trying to teach us now let's read the text. Now we shift. There's a great shift here from the priesthood. Now that Aaron has been made the high priest. And there's been an inaugural, the very first celebration. That is uh, uh, of, by Aaron the high priest. He's gone into the tabernacle. Made an offering. And even spoken to the Lord because the Bible says, and God spoke to Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that God thinks of after the inauguration of the great high priest in Israel, and he said, these are the animals you can eat. Yeah, you know, it's curious, right? To the, to the natural mind, it's curious. But remember, this is God speaking. These are not written accidentally. Speak to the children of Israel saying, these are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Hmm. Okay. What chews the cud? What do we know? Cows. Cows. There you go. Uh, what else? Sheep. Sheep. Chew the cud. There's some other animals too, and they will outline them and, and so forth. Um, uh, what, I'm, I, what I want you to be aware of is this massive change, almost incomprehensible, from all of the holy things in the holy place to talking about animals clean and unclean. It must be, dare I say, fundamental to the understanding of God's grace. Fundamental. He wants to start there. 
Then he says, nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud are those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to you. So that first one uh, that says, having cloven hooves, verse 3, and chewing the cud, those you may eat. But those who only do one of those things are unclean. Whoa. Because it chews the cud and does not have cloven hooves. It's unclean to you. Do the words to you strike you? It's unclean to you. Not the Canaanites. Not the Philistines. To you. Do you have anything unclean that the world partakes of all the time? I'm, I'm not asking for a response. Of course. We follow God. Israel follows God. He does not make rules and regulations that are meaningless or useless. He is making a distinction between the people of Israel and all of those nations around them. How would we apply that to Christians today? Okay, I'll take it. That's too broad, isn't it? <laughs> the question is too broad. I'll answer it. We need to make distinctions between us and unbelievers. We do not follow the practices. We are not like the world. We have been called out of the world. Folks, I was saved as an adult. I was not brought up in a Christian home. I didn't have all this preliminary data provided. I had lived a worldly life. So I know something about worldliness. And one day God saved me and brought me out and said, come ye out, be ye different. Sorry about the King James language, but I remember it that way, brother. I, uh, come ye out, be ye different. And I was, and then I was rejected by many of those that I had formerly dealt with. We should be the same. Who do we follow? Christ and God. We do not follow the world. The world would have us to do everything they, uh, 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 that they do. But alas, it's not permitted. Some of it is unclean. That's what this is all about. It, in, in the form that it takes here, it's instructive, it's fundamental, it's elementary. But it's so true. And then he <laughs> starts off with saying, if they chew the cud and have cloven hooves, but if they only chew the cud or only had cloven hoods and don't do both, they're unclean to you. In other words, his rules are pretty stringent. Oh, oh come on, I... 
I had a hard time as a, as a new believer of leaving off all those things. That was not easy to do. I wasn't a, I wasn't a holy person uh, or, or anything. Uh, once saved, I had a holiness attributed or imputed to me. But I was not, in the earthly sense, a holy person. I had to begin the process of moving toward God's holiness. And that's what we must do too. And here I stand before you, 82 years old, and tell you and warn you, it ain't over yet. <laughs> it just goes on and on until you reach that day when you uh, fly off to heaven to be with your Savior. We need to separate ourselves from the world. We need to make distinctions from the world. And that's exactly what these restrictions are all about. Look at verse 5. The rock hyrax. Would somebody please explain to me what the rock hyrax is? Okay. We're going to get it. We're getting into the weeds and it's very difficult because, let me tell you right now, scholars differ. Even they are not conclusive about this. But it chews the cud but doesn't have cloven hooves. It's unclean to you. The hare, rabbit, I think the hyrax was something like a rabbit, looked like a rabbit, um, uh, and it uh, apparently lived in rocky uh, environments. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloving hooves, is unclean, unclean to you. What? How many people have had rabbit? Oh, all of you almost. <laughs> of course you have. Why? What did I just read in Hebrews? That first covenant is obsolete. It is not intended for you, not, at least not in, the, not in the details of it. It is meant for you and the spiritual meaning of it. But those things are obsolete. No one could keep those. In the end, they would all sin against God. So much so that he allowed none of them to enter the promised land. Wow. Wow. And the swine, dare, dare I admit, I eat swine. <laughs> Though it divides the hoof, having cloven, cloven hooves, yet do not chew the cud, is unclean again to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, oh, excuse me, I've already read that. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean. And again, the words to you, Israel. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever is in the water has fins and scales. Here we go. We're, we're talking about what the animals that are on the land, that are in the sea, in water and in the sky. All of God's creation, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. Whatever has fins and scales, 
Have you ever seen a rockfish? <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, once again, I, I have, I've had catfish. Oh, my. No scales. You skin them. So, I haven't kept this at all. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in, whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you, to you, to you. Not to me. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. Here we go, into the air. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind. Got any sense of why that's so? They're birds of prey, are they not? Sure. And they kill things. They circle around and take note of animals and then they get them and kill them. Every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl. Who would eat an owl? Has anybody ever eaten an owl? <laughs> I have not. And I'm wondering why they would. Uh, the seagull and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl. We have screech owls, you know. Yeah. The white owl, the jackdaw. And, uh, I'm sorry. My research didn't show what that is, but I would assume it's a bird of prey of some sort. And the carrion vulture, that is the vulture, we have them, uh, turkey vultures that are gathered around carcasses that are rotting over in the lake area here in Springfield. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you, yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Does that seem like a contradiction right there? Uh, those which have jointed legs above their feet and uh, with which to leap on the earth. That would include grasshoppers. I haven't had any lately. <laughs> I do have a friend who used to eat them. Um, uh, he would fry them and eat them. Somehow I've not been able to come to that yet. <laughs> it's just not my thing. Um, but it says that the grasshopper and the, uh, uh, what's the other grasshopper that flies? You know, the ones that came down and, pardon me? Yes, locusts. Um, both are similar. And the difference between the two is the locusts fly. Grasshoppers don't. Grasshoppers can make a few short flaps of their, quote, wings and get away from something. But uh, only locusts can fly. And those are what uh, invaded Egypt at God's command, I might add. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, verse 21. For those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth, these you may eat. The locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, 
the cricket after it's got. Oh, I think they would go best in a salad. <laughs> and the grasshopper, ha, ha, grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. You see why you could get bogged down in this? And I have to admit, but I recall the study. Uh, the book of Leviticus took two semesters, okay? <laughs> it was a difficult study. And we went into the details of each of these things. But I, I don't want to do that. I want to kind of survey the kind of thing and see if we might come out on the other end with a good understanding of what God is trying to do. Uh, by these, verse 24, you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It's not to say that you couldn't touch them or whatever, but you must be unclean and you must wash if you do. Did Jesus touch anything unclean? Yes, one with leprosy. Mm -mm. Uh, the carcass of an animal which divides the foot but is not cloven hoofed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. So the Israelites had to really make some distinctions, right? They had to look at the feet of an animal and they had to know that. And to learn that everyone who touches it shall be unclean. But whatever goes on its paws, among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Wolves and the like. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. But there is a way of becoming clean. Waiting on time and the other is washing. These are the things that he is teaching by these. Uh, uh, and then we'll uh, go on. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth. The mole. When I was in Michigan, I had, our lawn was like inundated by moles. It was like they were plowing up the ground up there. I thought about, should I kill them and eat them? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the mole, the mouse, and the large li lizard after its kind. The gecko, even though they make good TV commercials, uh, they are unclean. The monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean, and get this, until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is an item of wood or clothing or skin, or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it shall be put in water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Hmm. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break. Get rid of it. 
and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part or any such carcass falls shall be unclean, whether it be an oven or cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Matt, I should change the title and say, the title is To You, <laughs> dot, 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 To You. Um, it's a recurring kind of a, a theme in our lesson. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean. And whatever touches any such carcass becomes clean, unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. Wow. But if water is put on the seed and if a part of such carcass falls on it, it shall become unclean. It's getting pretty complex here, isn't it? Yes. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening, he who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and, un and be unclean until evening. He also who carries uh, its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Interesting. It's not wrong to eat of them, of the unclean animal this, in this instance. But it makes you unclean. And you have to wait until the evening. Very interesting stuff. But as you can see, a, a complicated, complicated lessons for the Israelites in the desert. All of these animals are around them. They, they see them all the time. Uh, sometimes I think that, um, uh, that when we think of the Israelites in the desert, uh, we think of sand dunes and the like. But they were in the northern part of Saudi Arabia, around Mount Sir, and so forth. And that was a wilderness, but not a sand desert. There was plenty of sand, you know that. But there was growth, underbrush, and a whole lot of that kind of stuff. And so these animals flourished uh, in that kind of an environment. And so they had to know all of these things. I'm going to suspend our teaching about that right now at the moment. And we'll finish this up uh, next week when we move on to another section. I will try to outline and maybe even have a handout. I don't, I'm not, please, not promising, but I might have a handout as to the teachings of these things and what they mean to a New Testament, a New Covenant believer. And because it's important. We do know, however, that if he's teaching anything, it is that for the believer, for the people of God, some things are unclean. Some things which uh, uh, unbelievers participate in or do is unclean to you. Far be it from me to outline in detail what those things are. But the New Testament believer is to walk circumspectly, I think is the words. Am I right? That's a, 
New Testament word. Walk circumspectly in our life. It becomes hard to do in a day of, of what I would call degradation, I suppose. Almost anything is applauded in today's world. Some of the most unclean, unhealthy, unholy, immoral acts are, are uh, celebrated, literally celebrated. Don't want to uh, wax political, but when you've got a man on the president's cabinet who comes to work in a dress and a wig, that's not good. And yet, it is celebrated, celebrated. But we as the people of God must make some distinctions. We must not be taken and made into fools because of our modern day practices. And if we can make a larger um, um, observation about these detailed rules, it is the Lord telling us the same thing. You believer, are walking amongst the unclean and you must make a distinction and you must cleanse yourself. It's not as though it's, it's irrevocable if you make a mistake or whatever, but you must cleanse yourself and present yourself to God holy. The whole book of Leviticus is about God's holiness do not, re, re, do not forget chapter 10 when the sons of Aaron went in to offer strange fire. They were burnt to a crisp. And then uh, 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 Aaron's family, Aaron and Aaron's family and those that uh, uh, were there started, uh, they acted as though they were going to grieve and the Lord said, don't grieve. Let the people grieve, but you don't grieve. They had violated God's already instructed orders and God was not uh, generous with them at the time. I'm not saying that we live in that, but what I want to emphasize as we finish this lesson is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. His holiness has not decreased at all from what it was in the desert. Indeed, our God is a holy God. And then the Bible says, because we've been born again and indwelt by His Spirit, we are to be like Jesus. My, 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 what a privilege, eh? Uh, those in the desert in, in uh, uh, those years did not have that opportunity, did not have that promise. We do. We belong to Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and he is glorious. And if he turned his glory loose, it would destroy the earth. And we can enter into his very presence by confessing our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done so? If you hasn't, 
If you haven't, like I tell all of my atheist friends, do so today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this difficult book sometimes confuses us. Even when we think we're in our best minds, something comes forward that we don't quite fully understand. So help us, dear Lord, as we examine these things, keep us very close to your further revelation and, and um, uh, uh, of the meaning of these things in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews. We are thankful for that, dear Lord, that it is the key to understanding these things. Help us then to go forward into our own lives in an evil and wicked world where we can function in a fashion that is clean and acceptable before you, dear Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who works in us to will and to do as you would have us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.